We're in the Gospel of John chapter 4, and I don't know how bombastic I'll be, but I will be imagining a few things, be exaggerating a few things. How many know it's all right to exaggerate as long as you stay scriptural? Amen? I know some preachers that exaggerate, and they don't say stay scriptural. The fourth chapter of St. John is one of the most amazing. Most preachers go straight to the well, the lady at the well, the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, because the well is deep, and boy, you can get some deep preaching. There's a lot of lessons in this fourth chapter, but I think there's a lesson that so many preachers fail to express about the Samaritan. I'm going to use for a subject tonight the Samaritan woman. Now, this is not the good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10. No, this, this is not the good Samaritan at all. This ain't it, I guarantee you. This is the bad Samaritan. And she had a life that was full of sin and full of iniquity. I don't know how far I will go with this, but I do know that the Samaritans went way too far in their worship of God in error. I'm going to read to you the first three verses, actually maybe the first four. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Once again, I'm going to parallel part gently and quietly into this place because we want to look at some things that are incredible. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. What? You mean Jesus baptized more disciples than John the Baptist? Though himself he baptized not, it's his disciples, verse 2 says, is the ones that baptized. Now I think there's a reason why Jesus didn't baptize people in water. Wouldn't you hate to have been the one that was baptized by Bartholomew? And another one was baptized by Jesus. Wouldn't that have been kind of discouraging? Well, I was baptized by, you know, one of the others, you know, James the Less. And the other one, I was baptized by Jesus. Well, Jesus let the disciples do the things that they could do. And Jesus did something that they couldn't do. And what Jesus did is he baptized people into the mercy of God, everlasting life. Jesus didn't come to baptize us in water. He came to baptize us into the kingdom of God, into the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, in a new life. Jesus is getting ready to leave, and because there's been so many people baptized through the, by the disciples, the Pharisees were a little bit disturbed about what was happening because Jesus was getting famous. Did you know Jesus is famous? And because Jesus was getting more famous than they were, they were jealous. Now notice in verse 3, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to get away from these Pharisees and these scribes he leaves Judea and departs again to go to Galilee. It is 70 miles between Judea and Galilee. 70 miles. That is two and a half day walk. 
And Jesus left Judea, departed again to Galilee. But on his way, verse 4, it says he must needs go through Samaria. And that's what I want to use for a subject tonight, the Samaritan woman. He must needs go through Samaria. You may be seated. We need to get this in context because it's very important that you... I think so many times we run so fast to the Jacob's well and go so quickly to the woman leaving her pot and going down to the city and crying out, come see a man, and all the people flooded out of the city of Samaria, one of the cities of Samaria, and they come out of there like all the men coming to meet Jesus at Jacob's well, like a bunch of ants to a picnic. I mean, they're going to receive the word of Jesus Christ. And we, we rush to those areas, which that's good. But if we don't grab a hold of verse 3 and 4, we miss one of the most incredible and deepest truths in the Bible. You see, when you look at Jesus must go through Samaria, we need to understand that Samaria, the Jewish people called them half-breeds. That's not a good term, but that's what they called them. The Jewish people were not happy with the Samaritans because 700 years prior to this, the Assyrians came in and took over the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. Samaria was the capital of the northern tribes, those 10 tribes of Israel. Samaria is where they erected an altar. was there they defied Jerusalem, the king of kings, that great place, holy city of Jerusalem. And so we know that the Assyrians, when they came in and took the northern tribes, some called it, the, uh, the minor prophets called it Ephraim, some called it Samaria, others called it Israel. Jerusalem was always called Judea, Judah. And it was made of two tribes in the south. It was Judah and Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin had the city of Jerusalem, those tribes. They were the last to fall to an outside power. They were the last to fall into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. However, the Samaritans, the northern tribes of Israel, was conquered by Assyria. Some say Sennacherib. There was another king that came in behind him. 700 years before Jesus was born, and the Samaritans were uh, actually in that northern tribe, the Assyrians would mix the population with their population. They would bring people in from Assyria to live among the Samaritans, and they'd move Samaritans out to live among the Assyrians. And they would do that in order to pollute and digress the strength of their faith in Jehovah. 
they didn't mind them being religious. They just didn't want them to be correct. The devil don't mind you being religious. He just doesn't want you to be correct. And correct is to be a Christian. That's correct. To be anything but a Christian is not correct. And so the northern tribes were assimilated into the Assyrians, the Assyrian, the, the, the Sumerians, the northern Israel began to intermarry with the Assyrians and other nationalities. And the Jewish people held on to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and Jeremiah, and some of the great prophets, you know, Ezekiel, so forth. And they felt like that they were keeping themselves pure. Well, they didn't. The reason they went to Babylon was because they were not pure. But Jerusalem was conquered and taken by Nebuchadnezzar into Israel. Now, you're thinking, preacher, I don't need to hear this. Yes, you do. Because the fourth chapter of John will not be as powerful if you don't understand the setting. When did the 12 tribes of Israel come back together? It was during the time of the Judas Maccabean era. era. It was during the time of the Roman captivity when they built the temple. Cyrus, the Persian, the Mede and the Persian, Cyrus gave them permission to go back to rebuild their, their, their Jerusalem and the walls. It was Ezra and, and Nehemiah. And you can read it in the book of Ezra when they decided to go back to Israel and build the walls and build the temple, the Samaritans came down. And they came down and said, we want to help you build the temple. And Ezra said, not going to happen because you have mixed with other nationalities. We've in somewhat kept our, you know, like Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego, we've somewhat kept our end of the deal, even though we've been integrated, we've, we've kept the God of Israel before us. And they said, no, you can't help us build the temple. Well, that made them mad. Samaria got really mad. There is now going to be even a bigger split between the northern tribes and the southern tribes. If you think a church split's bad, here we have a temple split. And that's bad. And so the Samaritans, because they were not allowed to build the temple after coming back from Cyrus, the Medes and the Persians and so forth, the Samaritans were infuriated. And the Samaritans sent letters to Cyrus, the king of Persia, trying to cause division. You can read that in Ezra and Nehemiah as well. And so... If that wasn't bad enough, they were fighting their own people. What really got bad was they decided they'd build their own temple. So they go up on Mount Gerzim, a place called Sychar. Jacob's well is there. They go up on Mount Gerzim, and they build them a temple. And they say, this mountain where Gerzim is, is where Abraham offered Isaac. Wrong, but that was their teaching. Abraham offered Isaac here. Their teaching was the first temple was built on Mount Gerzim. Wrong. The first temple was built on Mount Zion, Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. 
And so they begin to worship God in their own selective persuasion, the Samaritans. Now, already the Jewish people, the, uh, the southern tribes, are angry because, well, they're, they're angry enough that the Samaritans, I'll give you a little history and then we'll go on a little further. 700 years before Jesus came, they built a temple after they're rejected by Ezra and Nehemiah. And 130 years before Christ's coming, the temple they had built, and 130 years before Christ came, the Jewish people, the generals, destroyed their temple. Destroyed the Samaritan's temple. Totally wiped it out. And they destroyed it because they were angry because they built a temple and they knew that the temple was to be where Solomon put it. They knew that the temple was to be in Jerusalem. And so they came against and they had their own little thoughts. That follows up even today. In 1919, the year 1919, about the time when Jerry was born, 1919. What? That's supposed to be funny? 1919. He took a little trip down to the mighty Mississippi. No, no. 1919. They did a census of Samaria. How many Samaritans were left? Now, these Samaritans live around Tel Aviv today, the... the uh, near the West Bank in Israel. And in 1919, there was a grand total of 140 Samaritans left living. It was it. Today, there's about 800 Samaritans living in that Tel Aviv area near the West Bank. And they are called Palestinians. Now, Jesus is so concerned about the separation of the nation of Israel because he knows that Israel is going to be scattered all around the world. But when Jesus came, the 12 tribes had already assembled back during that silent years of about 400 years. They had assembled back. I think Rome had a lot to do with that. And then you... You had the Ottoman, and, and we know now as Great Britain, some of those that were fighting them and, and killing the people of Samaria. But they did get back together. But how many of you know they were together, but they were not together? And I've been in churches where people are together, but they're not together. I've been in families where families were together, but they were not together. I've been in groups where they were together, but they were not together. When Jesus came, Samaria, the northern tribe, was together with the southern tribe, Judah and Benjamin. They were together, but they were not together. They hated, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans because of the bad blood. Pardon the pun, they considered them happy. Half-breeds. 
That's not a good term in our day, but that's what they called him. It is what it is. I can't preach it different. That is what it is. And they did not want anything to do with Samaritans. And so Jesus is going to travel from Judea to Galilee, which is a 70-mile trip. And in that 70-mile trip, it's about two and a half days, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 4, I must needs go through Samaria. Now, why is he going to Samaria? He's going to Samaria to explain to them that there's coming a time when their true temple will be inside, that they will be, and the others that receive Christ, our bodies will be the temple of God. See, up to this point, Samaria did not have a temple. Now, they've excavated, and recently they discovered that there may have been a large synagogue on Mount Gerizim, but there was not a temple because a temple had been destroyed. They were mixed up in their beliefs, and they believed that Jacob and you know their descendants. And so Jesus takes a 35-mile out of his way trip to terrain, rocky terrain, to go to Samaria, the area of Samaria. And there in the city of Samaria, or the area of Samaria, there is a city called Sychar. And Jesus is going there to explain. He didn't say it in these words, but he was going there to explain to them the temple is going to be, the veil of the temple is going to be rent. And Israel, the Jewish people, are not going to have a temple either. You don't have one, Samaria, you don't have one, they're not going to have one either. Because I am going to be, be the veil of the temple. I am going to be the temple. I am going to be the one to bring holiness unto the Lord. And I will tear down the structure of Ju- Judaism and the structure of Samariaism, I guess that's not a good term, but Samariaism. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you guys back together in Jesus, in me, Jesus is saying. And so many people refuse to do that even today. They don't want to be together with Jesus. But the only way we're going to have peace in any crowd, in the family, in church, in the work, the only way you're going to have peace is for it to be brought together in Jesus Christ. Now, you're starting to see the importance. One of the great lessons that I discovered in reading about the 10 lepers, how many remember the 10 lepers? The 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17. Uh, these 10 lepers, uh, they meet Jesus on a hillside, they cry out to Jesus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. There's 10 of them. They're crying as loud as they can. They can't shout too loud because their vocal cords have been eaten by leprosy. I love it because their voices together were squeaky like mine tonight. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And boy, they're squawking on the hill because leprosy attacks the vocal cords first. It attacks the mouth first. That's why 
the Levitical laws would put a cloth over your upper lip and let it hang down. And when you see someone cry, unclean, unclean, because the, 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 the immense decomposing begins at the mouth. That's why they did it. And so those lepers cried out in unison, have mercy on me. You know what's beautiful? There was nine Jews and one Samaritan. And what brought them together was leprosy. Those nine Jews that have leprosy did not mistreat the Samaritan. In fact, I believe they were buddies. I believe they realized that they were in the, they might be bad off, but they're, you know, you may be bad off, but we're in the same boat. They were in the same boat. And so those lepers cry out to Jesus. Jesus sees them from a distance. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. And the 10 begin to go toward the priest in Jerusalem. Now, the Samaritan knows that he's not going to be let in in the temple in Jerusalem. He knows that. That Samaritan that's got leprosy knows he's not going to be allowed to go into the holiest of holies or to the priest of Jerusalem in Jerusalem. So he's kind of a man without a temple. Because in Samaria, the temple was gone. So there was no place for him to offer the Levitical sacrifice because they didn't have it in Samaria, in Sychar. And so what's beautiful is the, let me read it to you, verse 14 of Luke 17. And when Jesus saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice, notice he gets his voice back, with a loud voice, God heals him. And with a loud voice, he glorifies God. Why did he turn back to Jesus? Out of gratitude, yes. Out of thankfulness, yes. But he turned back to Jesus because Jesus was going to be the only priest that he could trust in. He didn't have a priest. He didn't have a temple. So he turns back to Jesus, who is the great high priest. And he goes to Jesus. He falls on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And the scripture says in verse 16, he was a Samaritan. Isn't that beautiful? I always wondered why this one didn't have to go to the temple. Now I know why. He didn't have a temple to go to. And God's not going to save somebody and give him eternal life and then cast them to the wolves to be eaten up. When God saves you, he's not going to cast you to destruction. He's going to protect you. And so this leper that gets cleansed, the Samaritan, he's not going to have to go back. And I, I believe the Samaritan went, whoo, before I got out of that one. They began to run toward, when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, they began to run to the priest. And while they're running, while they're going, the, the Samaritan and the other nine are healed. And I can just see the, the Samaritan is healed saying, why am I running? I ain't got nowhere to run to. 
So he whipped around, ran to the great high priest, Jesus Christ, and he worshiped Jesus. He was a Samaritan. He gave thanks to God. He didn't have no place to go but Jesus. That's the only place he had to go. And I want to say, no matter what religion that's in the world, you don't have any place to go but, but Jesus. Yeah, but my religion is that. Well, big baloney to you. Well, I, I believe this. I believe that. Well, whoopee-doo. Well, bless God, I am a whatever. You know, I, I've been a whatever forever. You know, I was, I was born this way, and when I die this way, I'll be... The religion I am dead. Honestly, I don't care whether you're a Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Assemblies of God, Foursquare, or trying to figure out what you are. The truth is, you're nothing, just like the Samaritan. You have no security in your religion, you have no security in your preacher. You have no security in your ritual. You have no security in your wafers or your communion. You have no security in your stained glass windows. You have no security in your doctrine and your beliefs of your religion, just like the Samaritans. The only security that you and I can have is Jesus Christ. And those nine other boys ran to the priest. Those nine other Jewish boys hightailed it to the priest. They didn't go back to find out where the Samaritan went. They just kept going. Well, say, didn't they obey Jesus? Yes, they did. And I think it's funny because there was no cleansing for it. There was cleansing in in Leviticus for the leper, but no one was ever healed of leprosy except Naaman. Naaman was the only person in the Bible that's ever been healed of leprosy. Well, apart from Miriam and, and Moses, you know, and when they stuck his hand in his side and comes out leprosy, that there's, there's no healing for leprosy. There was for Naaman, but he was a Gentile uh, captain. And so the priests, when those nine Baby flesh men showed up, totally healed. I guarantee you the priest was trying to look up the hot dog, the big shot in the temple, the chief priest. What do we do with these guys? A notable miracle has taken place. We've never performed the cleansing of a leper because no one has ever been healed of leprosy. And so Jesus, they gave Jesus a hard time, and that was Jesus' way of saying, right back at you. Isn't that good? Hey, I'm telling you, a Christian has so much liberty and so many blessings, and so that he says to Jesus, Lord, I thank you for cleansing me. He gave God thanks. He gave Jesus thanks. And Jesus asked the question, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Well, the nine has given the priest a headache. The nine are healed, but they're not whole. 
You, you can be healed and not be whole. The nine are healed, but they're not whole. There's no indication they were saved. The nine were healed, but they were not whole. And Jesus Christ said to the Samaritan, Go, you're whole. And bowing at the feet of Jesus Christ made him whole. Isn't that beautiful? Wow, I love that, don't you? He bowed at his feet. That's so good. I got I to gotta read that next verse. Uh, he turned back with a loud voice, verse 15 of Luke 17, fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, where, where there are not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found to return to give glory to God, save this stranger. By the way, the Jewish people in the temple never gave glory to God. They think they were, they thought they were, but they, Jesus is the glory of God. And he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee what? Wow. The nine got cleansed, the Samaritan got cleansed and made whole. And he did it. Jesus did it without the priest in the temple of Jerusalem. He did it without the ritual of Judaism. Hey, I live in a home that's full of Judaism. But anyway, I'm a sanctified man. I live among Judaism. I'm married into Judaism. I am a sanctified man. You won't forget that, will you? She won't either. She's sitting there in the back. <laughs> and so Jesus is trying to point out, and, and I could go to the well, the Jacob's well, and Jacob's well was there in Sychar. I could go to the fact that Jesus goes to this Samaritan. He's going he's to talk to this Samaritan. This is not the good Samaritan. This is the bad Samaritan. She's bad because she goes at the sixth hour to the well. In the Hebrew timetable, they go in threes. One, two, three hour, four, five, six hour. And they begin in the evening and the morning of the first day. And so when they start the day in daylight, it's the 6, 6 a.m. And so you go, the first three hours would be nine. The next three hours would be the sixth hour. And so the woman went to Jacob's well, high noon, showdown at the Jacob's corral, showdown at high noon. And Jesus comes and he sends the 12 to go buy food. Who in their right mind sends 12 men to go buy food? Really? All 12 of them went to buy food, not because they needed the assistance, because Jesus knew they'd have it eat before they got back. He knew that. He sent them into town to buy food because he wanted to get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love this. He wanted to get rid of them. And by getting rid of them, he meets this woman, this Samaritan at Jacob's well, and she's not the good Samaritan. She's the bad one. She's been married five times. She's shacked up with someone. And that one she's shacked up with is not her husband. She goes at high noon because she don't want to be around the other women. Because the other women probably didn't think much of her because she probably messed with the other women's men. She was not the good Samaritan. She was the bad Samaritan. Thank God we got a story about the good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, right? And Jesus comes to the well, and she's there drawing water out of the well, Jacob's well. And Jesus starts talking to her. And he says, give me drink. And boy, that just set it off. I mean, you got a Jewish man talking to a woman. They weren't allowed to talk to women unless it was their wives. But Jesus is talking to a woman, not only a woman, a Samaritan woman on top of that, and not only a Samaritan woman on top of that, a sinful Samaritan woman. And Jesus is talking with her. He said, give me a drink. Oh, she unloaded on Jesus. Well, here you are. Thirsty, are you? Why are you asking me a drink? You Jews don't have no dealings with Samaritans. Why are you asking me a drink for? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I am, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask of me living water, and you'd never thirst again. Wow. She unloaded Johnny. Well, I, I, you know, you're talking about giving me water. Where's your dipping stick? Where's your jig that goes down in the well and pulls out water. The well's deep. How are you going to get water out of the well? You're just standing there in your sandals and, and, and the dust asking me for a drink. Uh, the well's deep. How are you going to draw water? The well's deep. And I want you to know the well of this world is deep, but it's full of sewage. The well is deep. And that's why people die in their sin and go to hell because the well is deep. It's trapped them. And she said, how are you going to dip? You have nothing to draw with. I want you to know Jesus has everything to draw with. He has his power to draw with. He has his love to draw with. He has his goodness to draw with. He has his powerful grace to draw with. And notice, he says, if you knew the gift of God, verse 10, and who it is, Saith to thee, give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would give you living water. She said, sir, you don't have anything to draw water with. She's thinking on physical drink. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? After all, we're on Mount Gerzim. We're, we're in the place of worship. We're... Are you greater than Jacob? Well, right there, Jesus could have spit on the ground in a little bit of anger and said, I am greater than Jacob. Yeah, lady, I am. But he had probably lost her right there. Amen? So Jacob, she said, Jacob gave us the well, and 
drank thereof himself and the children and his cattle. And Jesus Christ said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Wow. We have a plaque above our water fountain in the foyer. And on that plaque it says, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. And it's true. But whosoever drinketh of the water that Jesus gives shall never thirst but have everlasting life. That well will be in you. I love that, don't you? I shall give and he shall be in him a well of water. Verse 14, be in him a well. That's pretty cool. If it's in you, you don't have far to walk. If it's in you, you don't have far to go. It's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. The water's gushing up inside of us. Out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. Then I see a little smoke come up from the tablet. Some of you know what the tablet is. That's what they do the volume with. But in you is a well when you come to Christ. And Jesus Christ said, go call your husband. Tell him to come on, talk to him. And she says, I ain't got no husband, verse 17. Jesus said unto her, you're right, well said. I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, and saidest thou truly. Now, he has opened her up. He has scalded her with the hot water of the gospel of Christ. He has touched her heart. And she says, whoa, back up, back up. Verse 19, the woman says, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, she's trying to change the subject. I, I perceive that you're a prophet, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain yet it, nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Boy, right there, Jesus said, I'm on their side down in the hill. I'm on the law's side. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Let me correct a false teaching in the church today. They try to say God is not a spirit. They try to say God is spirit. I want you to know that God is a spirit in the person of Jesus Christ. He is a savior. He is a redeemer. He is a conqueror. He is a, he, he, he's, a, he's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And God seeks to, them to worship him in spirit and truth. And by the way, Jesus is spirit and truth. The woman changes the subject again. I know that the Messiah is coming 
which is called the Christ, when he has come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus Christ said in verse 26, I am he. There you go. Take a picture. It's me. I can just see Jesus raise up his hands to the Father and say to this woman with a big smile, I am he. And boy, when he said that, rivers of living water swept over this woman's soul. God changed her life. Some people say, well, I'm not sure. You've got to do certain things to be born again. You've got to do certain things to have your life changed. You've got to do certain things to go through a ritual to be born again. But I want you to know, when someone gets truly born again, they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they can be saved while the preacher's preaching. Amen. They can be born again while the preacher's preaching. Doesn't have to be in this altar. God can save you right where you're at when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Case in point, Acts chapter 10. As Peter preached, the Spirit of God fell upon them and they were saved. Now notice this. I am he, verse 26, Jesus said, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples. Now they show up. Marvel that he talked to the woman, yet no man said, Why seekest thou, or why talkest with her? The disciples were afraid to say anything, but they thought a lot. Amen? Aren't you glad you don't say everything you think? Amen? And then the Bible says, Verse 28, and the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said unto the men, come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? And then they came out of the city and they came unto Jesus Christ. Some believed by the testimony of the woman. They come piling out of that city to come to Jesus Christ like a massive army of ants coming to a picnic. They come moving to where Jesus Christ is because this woman has went to town and said, there's a man up at Jacob's well that read my mail. There's a man at Jacob's well that knows, hey, you and me were together last night. There's a man at Jacob's well that knows, you men, I've spent time with you. And boy, it's how I many know that's, that's time to haul the mail fast back to Jesus? Hey, they've got to get this straightened out. Amen? That's what being saved is. Get to Jesus Christ and get it all straightened out. Now, you'll have to pardon my pun, but she left her pot. Amen? She left her pot. That'll preach. Pots don't smell good. Pot don't smell good. Pots don't smell good. You say, what about a pot of beans? They don't smell good after you eat them. Okay. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to feel quite at ease after I have a taco first. And they said, Jesus, why don't you eat? The disciples, verse 31, Master, eat. And he said, 
boys, I just sent you down there to get you out of my hair. I have meat to eat that you know not of. And then he gave them a good, a good lesson on how we need to be busy bringing people to salvation. Busy. He said, look on the fields. They're white already under harvest. He gives a great lesson, and that's another sermon for another night. But I want to say the thing that we miss in this story of Jacob's well, we talk about the woman at the well, we talk about Jacob's well, the thing that we miss is what I shared with you at the beginning. Jesus must tear down the walls between Jew and Gentile. Jesus must tear down the walls of religion and bring them to himself. Jesus must go into any church and announce the truth. Jesus must go into any religion and announce the truth. Jesus must go into any cult. He must go to any atheist convention. He must go to any critical intensive care. He must go to any place and tell them the truth. Now, how's he going to do that? You. Now, I could have preached all night and not said that, but that's, you are the feet of Jesus today. You are the voice of Jesus. You are the message of Jesus. You take the message of Christ to the world. And you go tell people about Jesus. Life changes completely. completely. Someone said, uh, what do you do when you get around an atheist? You preach the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't argue with him. What do you do when you get around someone that doesn't believe? They believe in Buddha or Sintuism or some other kind of ism. What do you do? You don't argue with them. You just preach the marvelous love of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary and that he went to the grave and rose again from the grave and there's enough proof everywhere to convict them and smite their heart and bring them to Christ. No argument. Jesus Christ said the hour is coming and now is that all that will come to God must come to him in spirit and truth. And so Jesus is trying to say it's not in Jerusalem, the hour comes when you'll not worship God in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerson. The hour is going to come when I'm going to make you my temple. And I'm going to put in you my water. And I'm going to put in you my presence. I'm going to put in you my life. I'm going to put in you, I'm going to tear down the veil, and I'm going to bring you to forgiveness, and I'm going to put in you confidence and forgiveness in Christ. I'm going to put in you a well that springs up forever and ever. I'm going to put in you, I'm going to make you my temple. Make you my temple. And that's what he was telling that woman. I'm going to make you my temple. And she went down running over the hill saying, come see a man that told me everything. She didn't have a temple. She was worshiping maybe a synagogue. If the archaeologists are right, uh, they think they found a synagogue 
on Mount Gershom. I don't know if they did. But even if they did have a synagogue on Mount Gershom, even if they had one during that time, they didn't have the temple. They didn't have the high priest. They didn't have the law of God. They didn't have the blessing of Zion. They didn't have the place where Jesus is going to be crucified and die on the cross of Calvary on the same place that Abraham offered his son Isaac. They didn't have the tomb in which the lamb and the Savior would lie and rise again from the dead. The Samaritans didn't have any of that. And so Jesus says, got some good news for you. I'm going to blow the temple out of the water. It's going to be destroyed in 70 A.D. It's going to be gone. The children of Israel are going to be scattered around the world. I'm going to make you my temple. I'm make Everybody that comes to me, I'm going to make them my temple. You're going to be born again and become God's temple, become the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're going to be the temple, the body in which God resides. They're going to be scattered all over the world. One day I'm going to bring them all back home. 1948, Israel returns home. They're still gathering. I said, they're still gathering. 1948, the Jewish people, they didn't just return home. They bought their land again. It was already theirs, but they rebought it. And they gathered in Jerusalem. And today you have an Israel that doesn't have a Savior. Today you have an Israel that's living in sin. Today you have an Israel that is a resort, a vacation, a, a place of, of going, a tourist attraction. But it doesn't matter. God's getting them all in one place so he can send a revival to one nation in one day. And he's going to do it when he calls his church home. And we're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be with Jesus. And then Jesus is going to judge the planet. The wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the planet, not the Jews, upon the ungodly on the planet. The wrath of God is not being poured out upon the Jews. Don't you think they've had enough wrath already? Don't you think they've had enough persecution? Surely they have. And they're going to have more because they're going to accept the false Messiah. But Jesus is going to come back. He's going to judge and bring judgment upon an ungodly world. Amen. They're going to really find out that the rainbow ain't going to save them. Amen. You just interpret that any way you want to. Hello. And Jesus Christ is going to come back, going to judge the world, pour out his judgments. He's going to come back with you and I as a church. He said, I, I got on my bucket list, Jesus says. I've got on my bucket list. You know that place that I called home as a little boy? You know that place that I had friends that were called disciples? You know that place that I played in the Valley of Megiddo as a little boy? You know that place where I turned water into wine at a wedding and mama said, do it, boy, do it, and I did it. Turned the water into wine. I believe Jesus has great sentimental 
love for Israel. Not because they're perfect, they're sinners. But God's going to come back because God has made a covenant with Israel. And it's not about Israel being clean, it's about God being holy and honest and pure about his covenant. When Jesus Christ returns, we're going to return with him. And, and Jesus is going to finish his bucket list. He's going to save Israel. A great revival is going to come to a nation in one act. Isn't that so good? Somebody mentioned today, and I'm going to wrap it up because uh, uh, my voice is still not super good, but well, the message is super good, the truth, and we'll wrap it up. Somebody said, you know, the lame man at the gate called beautiful. Those disciples went past him over and over again. Jesus walked past that lame man over and over again. But there came a time in which Peter fastened his eyes on that man and said, look on us, Peter and John, because it was time. And I believe Jesus walked past that lame man in Acts chapter 3 many times. And I believe he said, now he didn't use a literal notepad, but I believe if he did have a notepad, he wrote down, bucket list. I'm going to heal this guy through Peter and John. I mean, no, Jesus has a bucket list. And what he hasn't done yet, he will do. Because he has a bucket list. Isn't that good? Amen. Altars open. We want to invite Josh to come and whoever is in the music. My voice haven't, hasn't been as strong as it should be today, but it was, either, it was either listen to me or listen to Josh, and I know you really wanted to listen to me. I'm kidding. I'd have much rather listen to Josh. And I, but I couldn't do a trade-off with him. I couldn't say, Josh, I'll sing and you preach. That'd be a bad bargain. Amen. Now, maybe you don't feel like the good Samaritan. Maybe you feel like the bad Samaritan. But I want you to know Jesus loves you. And he wants to make your body, make your life the temple. He wants to make you the temple. The temple of God. Jesus in your heart. And while God's saving people this morning, I think he can do some saving tonight. And if you're going through a hard time, please hear me. Jesus must pass your way. Jesus must needs pass your way because he loves you. He cares for you. You may be not a Bible scholar. You may be not a great deep Bible student. You may be like kind of like the Samaritan, kind of mixed up. God loves you. And he's coming your way. He's coming your way tonight. Altar's open.